Hey, what's up, everybody? Uh, thank you for tuning in to the Regular People Talk Show. I am here with one of my very favorite people, the esteemed Jake Tracy. Jake Tracy, how's it going, everybody? So, Jake, let me give you a little bit of background. It's probably one of the most prominent travelers that I've ever met, and I cannot wait to get his input on a few different things. Uh, things that Jake has coming up right now is he actually just booked a one-way ticket to paradise, right, buddy? One-way ticket to Thailand. So can I just start right there? Why Thailand? Why Thailand? Thailand has got an amazing food culture, and um, this last year, my last semester, or my last two semesters at school, I recently got into cooking and got a job working as a line cook, a very, like, fancy for what I've been around at least, like American Contemporary Farm-to-Table Restaurant, a lot of buzzwords, um, but it's really interesting to see all different ways of cooking and how, like, you can do so much with so little and change dishes dramatically by just simple, small techniques that, like, you just have to go around talking to different chefs and discovering, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, it's so intricate and just so complicated. And it's really brought me into food. So Thailand's got also really cheap food and interesting food. They're also really big on spice over there, which is an interesting thing because a lot of people shy away from spice, especially in America, I've noticed. But um, they go over the top with it over there. Also... Thailand is, I mean, the main reason is because it's really cheap, right? Over mm-hmm. in Southeast yeah. Asia, it's just the like... The U.S. dollar can take yeah, you a long it's like way. three times as much or something, okay. like more than that probably. I'm probably, I'm not a whatever, but... Now, to take a step back, like I said, you have traveled quite a bit. Obviously, you're not Bourdain-worthy or anything like that. Yeah. But, and you've mentioned a lot about like, restaurants and a lot about the food kind of thing is that a big thing for you it is right when you're traveling definitely right now it it hasn't always been but it's like something that you look forward to because it's different right it's a new opportunity something that you will probably never experience again if you don't put yourself out there in some way shape or form and it's just something to fall in love with when you are traveling because like you can fall in love with the people and the landscape but the food is something that's just completely unique to the to the location, right? Now, in you've done a lot. Of, we're, we'll go into international travel, but with regards okay. to domestic travel, uh, you just got back from where in Colorado? I was in North Carolina. North Carolina recently. Okay. Yeah. Now, just across the United States, do you notice any different sorts of? I I want to get into like etiquette within the restaurant industry do you notice different things like from we're in michigan we're in the midwest Uh, i feel like we're really big on thanking the waiters for their time basically like giving us like a big service kind of thing like it is the service industry but in some areas it's almost as if they are uh there are points where i find that they feel as if they're being burdening or they are apologizing for coming up to us and interrupting us whereas here it's more so kind of a back and forth do you notice anything like that? Like, that's just my take on some places. Do you notice anything like that with regards to etiquette? And so, just in domestic U.S. So you're saying the 
waiters and waitresses have a lot more respect. Like the re- how about the or? relationship between the servers and the actual guests? And the guests? Mm-hmm. I mean, I think manners are important wherever you go, and I always have pretty. Like I try to have good manners, except for my language. I have some language issues, but just swearing a lot and stuff like that. But it's not like it's ever out of bad intent. Um, I know what you're saying, though. I feel like around here, it's definitely more people. We're just nicer. We're just from Midwestern, so it's the typical. That's, old, yeah, it's the stereotype, the right? Stereotype, yeah. Yeah. So when I was down, wherever I've been, I've never like noticed people acting differently per se like i definitely know what you're talking about but i've not really how about overseas overseas well when most people travel overseas the thing what they realize is people aren't like about going super fast you know it's like very laid back like we were in italy at this restaurant and we wanted to make it to the coliseum but for lunch or like dinner it took three hours to sit down at the restaurant, them bring the food, them come and get our order, everything. It was just, it's just more laid back there. And some people had been there for an hour before we had got there and left. And we never didn't see them leave because we left before them. It's wow. just spent a lot of time there, right? Does it, it's do a different you, culture. Do you perceive yourself as being rude when you try and rush that experience when you're overseas? Or do they understand? Do they find that American culture is a little bit more fast-paced and they kind of get it? You kind of play it by ear, right? It's like if it, they understand that you're trying to get the most out of your time there, but part of that for them, I feel like, is you sitting down and having those long and actually mm-hmm. experiencing like and realizing, wow, maybe we should slow the heck, heck down and just have a slow, nice meal where it just takes forever, mm-hmm. right? Is the culture, the food culture, kind of is embedded into the like everyday life of those overseas and more so than it is in the United States, do you think? Yeah, definitely. Like snack culture is pretty huge here, like the grazing thing, where it's like why do big meals when you can just eat chips the entire day and just be satisfied, right? Yeah. Rather than like sit down, experience the food, taste the flavor of the area, you know what I mean? Yeah. 100%. I think that's like what a lot of people look for when they do travel is kind of that food culture because you can bring back that memory of taste. You know yeah. what I mean? You can bring back experience. You can bring back all that kind of stuff. Well, some people aren't foodies, you know, and some people are there only for the sights, and so they just take it for granted and they don't realize that they're being, you know, they have they have bad etiquette or whatever. It's just goes over their head right mm-hmm. some people don't understand it and it's totally fun like there's nothing wrong with that it's just their head's in a different place right mm-hmm. it's nothing so moving away a little bit from food okay what is where is the favorite what's your best pot where's your most absolute favorite place you've ever been italy by far has the best food i've ever been there's a place very famous town i realized now after watching documentaries about it but bologna in italy sorry if i'm mispronouncing that but bologna is this town there's this restaurant in florida that when we go to visit our grandparents we go there and we have this huge plate with vegetables and meats and cheeses that's just built into this like huge like statue or 
just monument of starters, right? It's mm-hmm. just like you have like um, it's like a cheese board kind of, you know what I'm saying? And the restaurant's called Bologna, and um, so when we went over to Italy, the guy told us at the at this restaurant down in Florida says, go to my hometown. There's a restaurant there where you guys should try and find it. My family all lives there. So we went there and we ended up, we never found their, his family, but um, we went into this just like total, like we were just starving. We got off the highway. We had no idea what we were doing in a foreign country. Parents didn't plan that well. You know, we kind of just played it by ear and had these amazing truffle raviolis that were like mind blowing. And, I, I wasn't drinking wine at the time. Right yeah, it was just I can't even explain it because it was just so far or so long ago. But the experience in itself, like there was this this old lady, and she ran the restaurant with like I'm pretty sure her son was back in the kitchen, and it was very slow service. And it was like at the night at night there's like maybe two or three tables in there, and. It was just like there's just old wines that had just been like they looked like they'd been a cellar and there's like um, water that had dripped on them, but it wasn't normal water. It was like um, if you were in like caves, you know what I'm talking about? Spelunking water. Yeah, spelunking water. Yeah, it was just like encrusted (laughs) on these bottles, so it was like looked like and it was all real. Like it wasn't like any of it was faked or anything like that. It was just how life was there it was just like just it, it. it just had so much time in the restaurant and it's just like you go in and you're just like experiencing it's like unreal compared to anywhere else you'd ever been and i remember wow. a couple other meals that were phenomenal too but none none as much as i remember that one that's incredible yeah it was amazing so let's get back more into jake okay take us through so you started where let's skip high school right now we're going into college okay Went to Lake Forest College for Where, two Lake years. Forest? Lake Forest College is about an hour north of Chicago. It's where the Cubs live. A lot of the Cubs live there, so it's very rich town. Um, a lot of money there, and there's just the poor college kids in the center of the town that most of the people that live there and have a voice just absolutely hate. Nobody likes the college crowd. No, we're just a whole bunch of freeloaders, right? And we're going down to the beach and just like in their, in their spot. picture perfect neighborhood right mm-hmm. it's just a whole bunch of hooligan kids right it's super affluent yeah very yeah. affluent and it's not like all of them care that much you know I'm obviously a little biased but um, it's a totally friendly town like everybody there like the people that lived in town could barely afford it because it's just like the prices for things were just so high but I uh, went to school for two years there Worked for a photographer, and I had a podcast. I didn't have a podcast. I had a radio show. What'd you do? What did uh, you talk about? We talked about whatever had been going on that week, just like something you'd probably hear on regular the, the people. The recap, yeah. Yeah, so it was just like my friend that I did it with was really into golf, so he talked to me about golf, and I had no idea anything about golf, so it was more or less like he was just teaching me. And so people, you know, maybe that didn't know golf very well got something out of that. I'm not sure. But we got to listen to a lot of free music because you sit in there with all the free CDs that they go because they're trying to get, like, obviously um, producers, yeah, I think producers, want to get their music out there. Yeah. So they just give it away 
to the radio stations because they know that it'll get played. And the college kids that worked or were in the club, WMXM, 88.9 FM. Shout out to WMXM. Yeah, 88.9 FM. You rock. Yeah, you guys are amazing. Um, but you just get to listen to so much free music, and it was just, like, amazing because I was just, like, lived in St. Clair. You know, I was just super sheltered here. Like, there was not – there's – it was hard to find culture here, you know what I mean? Like, oh, you yeah. really had to reach out and... You had to you know, look for it. Yeah. It if you like, weren't actively you had to look looking, for it. it was kind of tough. Yeah, it's just weird. It's like, I never... I didn't realize... And I, at the time, I didn't realize I was, like, in a bubble, you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. you never realize you're in a bubble until you're out of the bubble. And, um, yeah, it was an amazing experience. Transferred after two years to MSU to get a degree in sustainability. So why sustainability? Sustainability. Is that what you were going for at Lake Forest too? No, at Lake Forest, I started off going towards behavioral economics and then realized I didn't want to sit in a lab all day and run experiments and whatnot. I just really liked reading about it. And then um, from there, I went into environmental studies, found out that when you get a degree in environmental studies, it's really just seasonal jobs. You get moved around a lot. But the idea of giving back from like I came from a privileged home obviously I was entitled which I didn't realize how entitled I was until I got out of there or until I got out there and then I would like the idea of giving back and trying to solve like the world's biggest issue climate change was just like I don't know I I want to say thrilling but it was just kind of interesting yeah it's just like how is there a problem this big and there's so many people working on it, but it's still an issue? It's like where where could we be more efficient, you know, in trying to figure that out and what needs to be done as a society to get that done. So that led me down a whole path on like lifestyle, sustainability and um, what you can do in your day to day life and stop over consuming and cutting down how much st- stuff that I own and yeah, really paying more attention to the highlights in my life and cutting down on everything else. Mm-hmm. So let's get into sustainability. Okay. Because I think that is an extremely broad topic, right. super wide, extremely, the word is overused. 100%. 100%. It's a, it's I've a buzzword blow, yeah. blown out of the water. What do, you, what do you think sustainability means? Sustainability let's start to me is the b- ability well, in my field for uh, basically marketing, behavioral, like advertising, that kind of thing, it's uh, the ability to be self-sufficient and sustainable. So okay. you can sustain on your own. Mine's more kind of like a life outlook kind of thing. Economical, maybe? That, yeah, much okay. more like fiscally sustainable. Okay. You know what I mean? Yep. Which yep. I think is still a proper use of the term. Yeah, no, that's what the, the way that it's misused, I think, is with regards to what you are actually in. Your yeah. field of sustainability. Your entire being basically. And how you just kind of like related back to things that you can do in your everyday life. Kind of thing like that. I think that is super misused. And I would love to hear you like why you're passionate about this. All right, so for me, what sustainability means is it's kind of a vehicle for inventing ways in which we can bring social sustainability or social entrepreneurship and environmental entrepreneurship into 
the business of it. What do you mean by entrepreneur? So, when you look at corporate sustainability or sustainable businesses like Patagonia that instead of having sweatshops produce their food, or not produce their food, their clothing, they use people that are being treated fairly and they oversee the entire thing and they use a lot of the products they make come from reusing materials and recycled materials. Are they the ironclad? Do they have the ironclad guarantee? I'm not sure. Don't call me on this. I've sent back my Patagonia sweatshirt when it ripped Uh my pullover and they sent one back using reused materials. I think that they had that policy for a while, but... um, That was back about four years ago, I believe. Yeah, I remember like... This year, I went to go get one of my coats from Mountain Hardware that I had bought through them, mm-hmm. fixed, and they wouldn't take it. It was like off warranty or something like that. It might be the individual companies, or it might because I think I bought it from Moose Jaw and then asked them about the company, but I think they stopped doing it because what people would do is they'd go into like. Um, third-hand stores like mm-hmm. Goodwill and stuff and they'd buy Patagonia stuff that would be all tattered up and whatever. Like five bucks, yeah. cut it with scissors, send it back, get a $40 thing. Yeah. Okay. That's so, so people were ripping the system off and so they caught on to that idea and were like, all right, so maybe we can't roll with that. So bringing this back though, so it's trying to make social sustainability or social entrepreneurship, sorry, and environmental entrepreneurship more fiscally responsible trying to make it profitable right Mm -hmm. and so what you see now in the way the markets are trending is that people are starting to become more aware of the things that people are doing so Mm -hmm. like they want to know more like what's wrong with this why is this this earned so like I'll give you an example Um, diamond the diamond industry the De Beers company. Yeah, the De Beers, De Beers company. Yeah. Everyone knows now, well, a lot of people I feel like know, that a lot of the diamonds come from one company. And diamonds became worth something because of their marketing tactics. And really, they're just rocks, right? Mm-hmm. They're just pretty rocks. And it's one of the biggest cons of all time, though, because they just they just shot the price up. And it's just like worth, they're worth crazy amounts of money for, yeah, they just monopolized it. And they use, I'm pretty sure, I'm not positive about this. I'm not positive about DeBure, but I know blood diamonds are a thing, right? And that's a huge issue. So now a lot more people are a lot more aware about that. And Mm -hmm. so the market, so people are starting to want to know where the, um, where their products are coming from, right? Yeah. And they caring more about others and the systems that they're a part of. So that's why sustainability, it's kind of like a marketing plan, you know? It's like, yeah. how can you how can you make something profitable while also putting your company in a better light? Mm-hmm. So one thing that I, I kind of talked about it in another podcast is, because uh, we talked about the big ocean cleanup, which is happening in about a month, uh, and kind of our uh, impact onto it, and we'll, we'll actually get to an article in a little bit that's going to talk not about our impact, but about Thailand's actually, because I thought that'd be a little bit relevant with your trip and everything. But mm-hmm. uh, is the ease of use, 
because with ease of use with product materialism and just kind of like getting things from uh, place to place I have found that uh, single-use plastics have been one of the biggest impacts on our like our footprint around the world what we've been adding to the oceans what we've been filling the landfill with uh, you see Starbucks with their whole straw thing now you see a lot of coffee shops uh, privatized coffee shops uh, mostly not using sleeves and not giving out sleeves unless asked kind of thing putting their napkins off to the side trying to minimize the use of them um, so those are just small things that companies are starting to do now and I know you're really big on kind of like the small thing what are some small things that people can do on just a day-to-day -day basis to kind of minimize their own footprint you know what i mean like because okay. everybody yeah. has a footprint a like i'm we're all guilty of it you yeah, know what like, i mean like drinking out of plastic yeah. water bottles right now yeah over consumption we should not yeah. be doing um so that's one thing yeah it's Watch hard to follow the rules bottles. all the time obviously mm -hmm. and it's like you can never jump you can never just go jump to both feet straight up to, to yeah like, it's just like, i am full on eating dirt right, right. Now. you gotta you gotta be inspired you know you gotta slowly find a way to make it practical for yourself and um so some of the things i do um water bottles having a reusable water bottle is a huge one obviously and like a lot of people when they think about that they'll turn to like now jeans and stuff like that but those things are still made out of plastic right yeah and they're like more durable obviously than glass but the fact that they're still made out of plastic means that you're creating that market. You're keeping that market alive. So Interesting. Yeah. So what I do instead, Nalgene's cost like what, 10 bucks, 20 bucks maybe? 10, 20, yeah. Yeah. So you can go to the store, go to a fancy grocery store like... Uh, it's like a not BP gas be... station. No, no. It's got to be fancier <laughs> than that. But um, <laughs> you get a Voss sparkling water bottle. Voss. Voss. Glass these huge glass like 700 milliliter a dollar to say that word it, i mean it sounds expensive yeah and i'm gonna be honest I, i'm not positive i don't really know anything about the company but voss sparkling water is really good like i don't really like sparkling water but voss sparkling water it's pretty good i'm gonna be honest boy. no not at all but anyway okay we're getting off subject but so you use a voss water bottle as your water bottle and what it teaches you because it's made out of glass mm -hmm. is you have to be more careful with it and you have to be like you have to know where it is you always have to bring it around because otherwise you're going to have broken glass somewhere at some point if you're not paying attention to if that. it's rolling around in your backseat yeah so yeah. it's makes you pay more attention to it makes you value it more but it's only worth three dollars too so if you break it or lose it it's easily recyclable because it's made out of glass mm -hmm. except for the plastic top and it's a phenomenal water bottle. It holds 700 milliliters of water, which is more than a normal Nalgene. And yeah, that's like the 20 buck Nalgene to get 700. Yeah, it's a fantastic water bottle. But it's three dollars. It's easily recyclable, and the sparkling water you get in it is fantastic to start off with. So reusable water bottle is an easy one. Um, something I do is with toothpaste and deodorant, and toothbrushes you to make sure you have a recyclable toothbrush which is like there's the bamboo company that's like the big the big ones right now are the bamboo ones and you know i haven't looked completely into the backgrounds of bamboo but i'm pretty sure it's a renew like very renewable resource or like a compostable at yeah least. it's definitely compostable um 
so what you do though is instead of using toothpaste and having those containers and um, deodorant having those single-use containers that you can't use again, right? Mm-hmm. Um, with the toothpaste too, because it creates creates waste. So instead, you have a glass jar that you fill with baking soda, coconut oil, and essential oils, whatever essential oils you want. Essential oils would be like lavender and stuff like that that you buy at like the homeopathic store or whatever. It's just like, and they people say like they have got the. You get those from like Meyer. Yeah, something too. probably. Yeah. You can get them probably commercialized place. by now. But you mix those together. There's a certain ratio, and I'm not positive on the ratio, so I'll reference you to um, Trashers for Tossers, where the idea came from. And you put all those things together in a jar, and you have toothpaste. And I'll admit, it's pretty fucking gross starting out. Excuse my language, but um. I don't give a shit. Okay. All right. So it's pretty gross starting out. But it's easy to make, cheap to make, and takes a long time to run out. So you have that, and you can use it for deodorant. Like it's a double, it works. It's a double whammy. Double whammy. It's cheaper. So that's something, that's a reason, that's why it appeals so much. Mm -hmm. And that's how you get people to buy into it, is because it's a lot cheaper than having those, buying the toothpaste and everything. But like I said before, people aren't doing it because it's not convenient. Right. 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 Even though in the long run it will last them more, it'll save them the time and energy to go out and buy another tube or another thing, stick a deodorant. They could just do one thing; it lasts them for a long time. But the initial, it's almost like immediate satisfaction of just having it. Boom, bang. Yeah. That's why they convenience factor. That's why I I don't do that a lot. Yeah. Right. Also, I don't know about it. Yeah, you don't know about it. So I don't know about it. One because I'm probably not actively searching for it. Which also is a convenience thing. Maybe I'd, I probably do have the time. It's I have just enough time a, to have a podcast, but well, I don't have enough time to make that toothpaste. Yeah, and that's that's really what's interesting is trying to figure out why some people try so hard to be sustainable or try to be self-sufficient and why some people don't and how to convince them or at least help govern them in such a way that would influence them to make better decisions without them having to think so hard about it, right? It's like this, I'm reading this book right now called Nudge, which Richard Thaw wrote. He's a behavioral economist, and he talks about libertarian paternalism. And so That's a a word. Yeah, that's a buzzword. (laughs) Very big buzzword. But um, it's really interesting because it's like talking about, so you take government, for instance, and how the right wants less government, the left wants bigger government obviously those are you know i'm summing it up pretty much you know it's not very descriptive or whatever but what he talks about in the book libertarian or yeah libertarian paternalism is not having better bigger government but having better governance so it makes it easier for people to make better choices for themselves okay yeah so like you know an example would be you go into a you go into a uh, lunchroom to okay. get food, yeah. and the food's laid out in a certain way so to influence you to have the healthier food. You have the fruit at eye level instead of the desserts at eye level, and and you use behavioral economics and psychology to best fit that lunchroom. So eventually, that will influence somebody, right? They, yeah. And they don't even have to realize it's influencing them. It's just... And that's kind of that ease of accessibility. Right. And, and like, their options are still open. The desserts are still there, but they're just going to be somewhere else where mm-hmm. your brain's not wandering to. So that way, 
it's like, you know, they're pushing you in the right direction. Yeah, when I walk into like Meyer, there's a big case of Oreos as soon as I walk in. Right. When that's, I walk, that's that's the bad, first right? thing you see, and then you're just like, wow, Oreos. Yeah, it's great marketing, obviously. Like mm-hmm. uh, they know what they're doing there, and but more people are realizing now that you know maybe you should know all the different like what the ingredients are in your food and stuff like that and there's the whole local food movement which has definitely had a huge influence on my life how do you have you local food movement at all so i my big local food kind of change happened was very recently it was my senior year of college i started uh for all my fruits going to the farmer's market that was in big rapids yeah i started doing that and i started using that when i was cooking over the winter there's this place that was called uh red fox market i believe it was just right downtown and it was like an all organic fair trade certified kind of place when i got big into uh rolling horribly rolled sushi uh it usually turned into more of a salad sushi salad but i tried and uh, you can't actually leave sushi, side note, in the fridge for too long. Yeah. Uh, you'll get stomach aches. Oh, but good enough. besides the fact, uh, uh, I did like kind of like the farmer's market thing. When I got back here, once I graduated, it was like kind of tough to find the farmer's market. One, because it's been raining a lot lately. And yeah. every single Wednesday morning when they try and do it, it's absolutely downpouring. So they quit also. And there's not really much access to local food besides at Neiman's. But like I said... Right when I walk into Neiman's, it's Oreos. Oreos. Yeah. Right when I walk into Meyer, it's Oreos. Right. Yeah. So, I don't know. Uh, I'm definitely not. See me right now when I'm saying this. I'm not trying to convey if you don't do this or don't eat like that, you are not a bad person. Yeah. You're not a bad person at all. Yeah. It's you know just... what I mean? Nobody's talking down or anything right now. It's just there are things that I wish could be more universal yeah and i noticed that while i was eating and i felt better not eating super processed fruit i stopped drinking those like naked smoothies because there was an ass ton of sugar you know what i mean it's like that like stuff like that my body just felt great i didn't hate walking out of my bedroom in the morning you know what i mean yeah it slowly draws you in right it's Mm -hmm. like you slowly start to notice and maybe it's just getting older and maybe it's coping with that idea that Maybe you care about yourself. Maybe you don't care about yourself so much. And Do you find expense to be a little bit? Expense? Well, the thing is when you start going into making it more efficient and like buying things that are better for you and whatnot, you have to budget yourself a lot more carefully, right? Mm-hmm. So what you pay attention to is you know, cutting the snacks out of your life because they're not good for you. Like – health-wise and just snacking in general is usually not very good for you it's good better to have just those whenever you're hungry you know just eat when you're hungry but have a balanced meal with protein straight away from those carbs have good proteins and good fats and have if you can't produce if you can't pronounce the sugar that's on the back of the package it's probably probably not good for you not that good for you yeah there's also there's another rule um if you can put your thumb, if your thumb can fit over, or no, maybe it's your pinky, most of the words, then you're good to go. But if it's more than those amount of ingredients. Oh, like over the like ingredients? Yeah, the ingredient list. Okay. That's, you generally shouldn't 
That's a cool little that. thing. I've never heard that. Yeah, actually, it's just like a little rule of thumb. And trying to eat whole foods, like whole foods, as in you know, going to your farmers market and stuff like that. And the interesting thing about farmers markets and stuff like that is like you can go and see what's in season and then ask the farmers like what they would make with those kinds of things. How do you make it taste good? And you try, it's like adds a whole new level of creativity into your life because you have to figure out how to use those things, those the f- seasonal fruits and the seasonal vegetables to make your meal for little money, right? Mm-hmm. And you, you think like, ah, that's a lot of hard work, right? But people have already done it, right? You're not the first people to have those problems. Yeah. So, and you just go down this whole rabbit hole of just seasonal recipes and you figure out what works for you. But trying to get people to care is the hardest part, the part. for any cause, right? I, th- I imagine that you run into that with Roxy F, right? It's like some people care about it because they've been affected by it. But yeah. a lot of people haven't been affected by it. So it's why, like, how do you why get should, them to care? Why should they? You know what I mean? It's just like that's kind well, of Well, maybe they have people that have or maybe um, – if you don't know, RoxyF is a cystic fibrosis nonprofit that I'm involved with. Yeah. So that's just a little bit of background. But, like, what do you – do you – how do you guys market yourselves to make yourself appeal? Or do you only try to – So what I have found that has worked the most is finding, first, the right cohort of people mm-hmm. that are going to be interested in it. Obviously, I found that uh, more philanthropic uh, – it tended to be more women because they care a little bit more about uh, social issues uh, that affect uh, basically rare disease type philanthropy. You know what I mean? Those type of social issues. Uh, kind of building on like the childhood charity kind of causes things too because most people with CF are diagnosed when they're young. Uh, and to get them to kind of see us, see, not, I'm gonna, not going to say us, I don't have cystic fibrosis myself, but... Uh, what we have found is actually, well, not we as a population, my boss actually with CF, shout out Emily, hope you listen. Uh, she has found that exercise uh, has kind of helped improve her lung function and get the kind of shake out some of the stuff that's in her lungs and everything like that. CF affects the lungs if you didn't know that. Uh, and conveying that to the running community that doesn't have CF as well. So we have a lot of group runs. We host 5Ks, half marathons that... Obviously, the most, the majority of people that are doing it, uh, CF affects about a little over 30,000 people in the United States. Uh, obviously, all 30,000 aren't showing up to this dinky little 5K in Detroit. Uh, but just bringing awareness to it through things that everyday people do. And you'll get a small percentage of those people will follow you on a social media platform, check out the website. Uh, and those are the kind of people that become the non-affected ambassadors. There are people who with CF that uh, have a little bit of clout in the community that hold regular day lives over their social media and like in like obviously just social media presence that they can convey like I'm biking right now. I am walking on the beach. I'm swimming. You know what I mean? Just like it's relatable things. And I think that coming back to sustainability is like you were saying, it's still toothpaste. All that stuff together is still toothpaste. I'm a regular person using this. You know what I mean? It's just like I may have CF, but I'm still doing this. I may be only eating at farmer's markets. I'm still eating. I'm still nourishing myself. I'm still fulfilling that hunger that I can get from processed food too, but I'm actually feeling better. You know what I mean? So that's kind of, I mean, to bring it all the way back to this. You know what I mean? 
So okay, you guys never market in like. Uh, is there like ways to prevent cystic fibrosis? No, like it's from genetic. You? It's, it's genetic. genetic. It's okay. a genetic disease. Right. So then you. It, it, it's a carrier kind sense. of thing. It comes yeah. from parents and okay. everything. So, Justin. Move on a little bit. Okay. So what I like to do is bring in a couple of articles that are good, bad, or spicy. Right now we have a bad one. Uh, sorry, because That's it's good. the only thing I found. I remember you're going to Thailand, so I don't know if you heard about this. Uh, this is going to be a little bit of Debbie Downer to all my uh, PETA homies out there. Uh, first, let's start with the seven countries that produce the most plastic waste in the world. Okay. Because we talked about this a little bit. Uh, some this is absolute complete news to me. So this is coming from India Times. Uh, it's a trending topic right now. It was updated uh, June seventh, and it gave us a little bit of a list of the most. Uh, do they have like researchers? How do they? Where do the studies from? So these the studies came. I believe it was Lacent.com or .org, and Nat Geo did a big one, and Pollution Protest Organization. Okay. And Yale's Environment it's good 360. Source. Good sources. Better Ocean Org. Yeah, so all so it was just kind of a combination of those. Start China, Indonesia. It's kind of like the Asian Tigers, and I'm not saying what they're doing is they have one of the best manufacturing and system, like kind of processes in the world, but obviously with having some of the most manufacturing and plastic engineering companies in the world, you're going to have some of the most waste, obviously. And they kind of have a little bit looser laws over on the other side of the world but China, Indonesia, UK, Philippines and Thailand is actually coming in at number 5 which I would not have guessed. Well, I think an interesting aspect of this that I've been looking into recently I learned about in my last year of college was um, damage done from tourism. So tourists coming into the country knowing it's not their home, but just being very disrespectful with how they treat the environment. That's a that great being. point. Yeah. So I it's like these people that. are coming to these countries to enjoy it, the specific exploitations of it, right? Like going scuba diving and seeing the reefs and stuff like that. It's like, you know, I, I think it's great that you can go and do that and see these amazing reefs and stuff like that, but it's at a cost, right? An environmental Absolutely. cost every single time. And so that adds up, right? And mm-hmm. so a lot of people know Thailand's like a very... It's gorgeous. Pla- it's an interesting place to go, yeah. and it's cheap to go there. And so you have a lot more tourism that brings in this negative crowd that doesn't really... That isn't very respectful and doesn't, um, you know, adhere to strict mm-hmm. pollution rules or whatever. You know, like they're just careless they're being careless when they're going around to these countries and it's like maybe they just don't know they're not educated or whatever it is but they're also on vacation and from the times that i've been on vacation you know it's kind of like you let loose a little bit like Mm -hmm. you don't you don't uphold your standards perfectly all the time right it's um it's not perfect like yeah you know what i'm talking about absolutely so that's an interesting interesting part and also there's like a ne- uh, new show on Netflix about dark tourism right oh and, yeah yeah how they go and they have these just really messed up reasons for wanting to go and getting like treated like a slave and stuff that's why they go to like these sites and stuff like that and that part of the tourism is literally organizations that will like you pay them money and they treat you a certain way or 
they put you through a certain experience just so you can understand perspective, right? That's how they that, sell like, it or whatever. Suicide force kind of. Yeah, it's just like really yeah. messed up and not yeah. very respectful, but. But they have to make money. But yeah, right. everyone's looking for. Quick there's cash. there's a wrong there's something wrong with the system, right? It's not. Like there's a, obviously the players in it. Then there's also the system that they were a part of and feel like they have to do this now to keep themselves afloat, right? Yeah. So, I haven't watched the show, but it obviously would be a very interesting show to mm-hmm. watch. It might be probably pretty disturbing, though, yeah. to be honest. So, moving on to that article I was talking about. This is... Okay. So, in Thailand, mm-hmm. there was a whale that washed up onto the shore. And it was, I believe it's a pilot whale. So it's it's a little bit smaller. Uh, it's probably, what, like 14 feet, you think? Yeah. 14 feet whale. Uh, 80, no, 17 pounds of plastic waste. It died from ingesting nearly 17 pounds of plastic waste off of the banks of Thailand. Really? That's very interesting. There were over 80 plastic bags extracted from this whale. Do they know why it eats it? Like what? I think it probably saw it as food. Right, but like because whales filter. Feet, maybe it looks like right? a. Maybe it looks like a, like a jellyfish. Oh yeah, probably looks like a jellyfish. Probably looks Do they like eat jellyfish. A sea though? turtle. I, I mean, know. I'm not sure what whales what their diet entirely is, yeah. but like like right here, it's saying uh, in Ural group, if you have 80 plastic bags in your stomach, you die. But when I think back to this and think about, like, the oceans, obviously there's the Great Pacific Ocean uh, pile or whatever, and it has to get there somehow. Uh, I'm just wondering, besides, obviously, the ocean cleanup, I don't know how you can prevent, actually, this from happening. Well, Especially in places like Thailand. The United States has contributed it to a ton, but it's just it just baffled my mind that, like, 17 pounds of plastic... I think the the problem there obviously is overconsumption and over um, consuming, right? Mm-hmm. We live in a capitalist society and we consume a considerable amount of stuff. So it's the whole no waste movement is about being creative, trying to find out ways in which you can create as little waste as possible. So this is another shout out to Trashers for Tossers, which is this what amazing is, blog. Trashers for Tossers. Trash is for tossers, so it's obviously making a play on the whole cliche, or like it's trying to create a new cliche and trying to make shame people for creating waste. Do you think right? there has to be some sort of shame to get people to? You know, I think it's a, I think it's more of a playful thing that she's going for with it. Um, the woman that runs it, I think her name's. Laura Singer, but I'm not positive, so I would double check on that for sure. Um, but I don't think it's about shame, right? It's you can't be condescending to people and expect them to change their routines what? and stuff like that. Yeah, they'll just it just polarizes people, right? Pissed, yeah. yeah. So, what was I talking about just before? Talking about kind of the no waste movement. No waste movement. Okay, so it's like. Coming up with ways and systems so you have no waste, so like with the plastic or the, with the water bottle. Like, as long as you have that water bottle, 
you're never creating plastic waste like we are currently doing. But um, so it's finding a whole bunch of different ways to do that. So her big like thing, like her, I don't know, anecdotal experience or whatever, her marketing scheme is she has a jar and she's got all five years of trash in that jar that she has produced because what? yeah because the the trash that she has in there is all like very specific niche things that there aren't recycling or compostable or stuff like that but she's also very conscious about producing that waste you know mm-hmm. and so it show it just shows you though the contrast like you can live this perfectly normal life it's just trying to be more conscious and trying to find ways in which you can creatively go about not over consuming and creating less waste Mm -hmm. it's kind of a challenge right it's interesting and there's a lot of people that partake in it i definitely try to partake in it but the thing is with all humans is like we're never perfect you know like everyone falls back on their stuff everyone's a hypocrite right Mm -hmm. you fall you fall on your face a lot i think the universal uh tragic flaw of humanity is ruts kind of thing what do you mean we get so used to one way that we have lived that's so much easier to go back yeah we just get conditioned right and and then we just we just um totally understand what you're saying yeah and we're a little short-sighted and we have uh tribalism right with our satisfaction like i want this i'm going to pity (laughs) we pity, pit ourselves against each other even in like entertainment purposes like i've never been into sports or whatever because it's just so tribal for like to have those competing teams because you see like in foreign countries and stuff if their team loses and stuff there's riots it's like crazy you know there was it's no like, riots at the St. Clair tennis court no riots at St. Clair tennis court not when I was serving at least <laughs> back in the day um I took my team I took my enemies out Oh, you did. No. I, w- I was never competitive playing <laughs> tennis, and it's something that your brother knows very adamantly about me is that I'm just not a very competitive person. Right? Love you, John. Yeah, shout out, John. Great partner. Love you day I die. <laughs> Don't hurt me, though. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah, so I lost the thought, but are there – like, what are ways that you – what are the things that you do to stabilize the climate, right? Like, what, do you have any creative, nuanced ideas that you've came up with? To stabilize the climate? Yeah, like, what do you do about climate change? What do you regularly do in your day-to-day life I'm going to be completely honest. I, I unplug my microwave, and that's... You unplug your microwave? No, you not my toaster. turn the lights toaster. off when you leave the unplug house? Unplug my toaster, I turn off my lights, yeah. That's, so I there's still ba- stuff. There's just still basic stuff. little things. I'm not going to say I'm... Uh, Saint Climate. Yeah, I definitely, like I said, I could definitely do more, and I do not think about it at right. all. Right, it's like, how do you get people to think about it? Like, it's a, there's, it's tough. Yeah, and people care about a lot of different things, right? Mm-hmm. Like musicians, you know, they probably go through a lot of picks and stuff like that. So, and there's probably not a way of going around that idea of having a whole bunch of picks and losing a whole bunch of picks because it's part of probably part of that creative process and everything. So it's. It's just, it's not so black and white, right? Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of people that are doing really well, but they're also creating a lot of waste while they're doing it. So an example of that would be, I have a friend named Alex Dorr, mycologist, shout out. Um, but he's training mushrooms right now to eat cigarettes butts. 
and to break them down, like decompose them. And the interesting thing, though, is he produces a lot of waste with the Petri dishes and stuff like that because they're plastic oh. and they don't have a better way of going about that. Yeah. So you look in a mycologist trash can and you just see so many of these Petri dishes, right? And they're all plastic. And it's just like – but they do a lot of other stuff. Like this guy has carries around all of the plastic bags that he's had for like the last year or whatever. And he handed them out in like one of these events that I went to go see of him doing and you're just talking about mushrooms or whatever. Wow. But yeah, so it's like he's trying, but like he's also, you know. I don't think there's a big way to escape it. Right. I don't think there's right. an escape. But it comes back to that idea of yeah. governance, right? And just try liber- libertarian paternalism, right? It's mm-hmm. like we should have systems in place to make it easier for people because everyone's not going to want to educate themselves. Not everyone's going to be super passionate about these these ideas, mm-hmm. right? And so that goes for saying for a lot of things. Yeah, I think. Yeah, hundred percent. Some things that are even on like a whole another plane above this. I think people are even passionate about, but they're trying to get them more passionate about it. But it's obviously not going to work there. Why should it work here? Yeah. You know what I mean? Exactly. It's a reaching thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's step away a little bit from sustainability. I want to okay. get more about you. More about me. What do you want to know? I, I first of all, thank you so much for doing that sustainability talk. I think that. I learned something just then. You learned something. Yeah. That, All right. That's it was great. Awesome. I really, yeah. really enjoyed that. Um, what I want to get to is remember aquascaping? Aquascaping. Yeah. Talk to love me about that. aquascaping. So I loved that. Okay. What is so aquascaping? This is very interesting. Okay. Aquascaping is using. So it's, it doesn't have like a formal definition, obviously. Like you can look it up on Google and like it'll spit something out at you. But. What I'd say it is, is using an aquarium to create a landscape that balances the science and the art form of natural environments. So you're trying to recreate, it's, aquascapes are usually freshwater and um, you use branches and plants and fish and the gravel and whatnot to create something like it's definitely worth a google like you look it up and you'll know what it is but um just a beautiful that's what it is scene. yeah it's, it's just almost like art it's art it is, it art. is art it's 100 percent art and um but the interesting part about it is the science side of it like trying to create a sustainable sorry to use that word so much but how to how to create an ecosystem that can keep itself alive and provide for itself and the same in just a tank right and there's obviously inputs and outputs and trying to figure out what Levels, is the most yeah. efficient way of doing it so that way it's not sucking your wallet drive because i've definitely spent well over probably two or three thousand dollars just getting into the unlike your everything tank. yeah yeah and just fig- well not just on the tank but like on everything that goes yeah everything into that goes into it. it right and figuring out and running into mistakes and then going back on it and whatnot so I was very passionate about it senior year of high school because I just like had a, like senior writers kicked in and I was just like, wow, I really don't need to be trying that so hard in school, right? Because it's just like, we're done. Like I got a college I'm going to, mm-hmm. I just can't flunk, right? So I had a lot of extra time on myself or for myself and I got really into it. My mom, I first tank I had killed everything. The, I bought cichlids, which are very aggressive fish, it turns out. and um, <laughs> Oh, you found they, that out after the fact. Yeah, so I put them into an aquarium, and I had, like, you know, plastic 
toys in there and stuff like that. It's just like so cliche and just like yeah, it's just like absolute garbage now that I like look back on it. Like you become very elitist about fish tanks after going into it. Obviously, (laughs) it's very clear that I'm very passionate, you know. But um, they killed each other. They all killed each other, and one of them, the last one that was alive, died too because of the ammonia levels in the water oh, created from, from their the waste fish. right so oh my god killed them all you know put the fish tank away i was like i'm never doing this oh again oh my god i feel so bad yeah no it was awful it was scarring for me i was like why didn't they bleed that was an interesting idea that went Do through my head bleed? i didn't see any blood when i saw i saw them kill each other one of them one of them i saw i didn't see any How blood did you do? just well, like they, yeah they just jam into them and it just like oh, shocks god. them and it's just Ugh. like it was really messed up like i would not recommend it to anybody. I bet I bet you people do buy fish to fight them. Anyway, getting off subject. So you get <laughs> Jake into Jake was it. part of uh, a Japanese fighting fish ring. Oh yeah, hundred oh, yeah. percent. Uh, it's underground now, but uh, you need a hookup. If you if you want to join, one eight 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 fish. All right, let's keep going. Um, so I got so into it. The the guy behind it, Takashi Amano, is this man from Japan. And he went down to the Amazon for like, I can't remember why he goes down to the Amazon, but he just falls in love with the landscape and everything. And so he wants to recreate it for himself in his home. And he sets up this amazing, huge tank. And he's like the grandfather of this art form. And I end up trying to send emails and calls and letters to him, trying to get him to just take me in as an apprentice, bail out on college, bail out on my entire life, learn Japanese and just fly over to Japan and just be this guy's apprentice. Right. So I send this letter, I send the letter after, you know, meticulously looking over it, trying to show like that I'm super passionate about this idea and him teaching me more. No, you don't. What? (laughs) You just send a dead fish to the guy in Japan. I don't think I'd get through uh, customs, but he dies from pneumonia a week after I send the letter. At 64. Yeah. Pneumonia? Pneumonia. Oh, God. Yeah. I don't even know. I don't know. Yeah, I know. Yeah, it was was heartbreaking for the entire aquascaping community. Like, I was just, like, just getting into the culture, just finding out how amazing this guy was, and then he dies. And I'm just like, what? Like, Like, my mind was just blown. I just, like, felt like it was a huge loss for everybody involved. But he does this last installation in Lisbon, Portugal. At the Oceana, Oceana, I'm not even going to try and say it, but it's in Lisbon, Portugal. And it's just the biggest aquascape of all time, completely freshwater. And just, he had a team of like 50 to 100 people working on it. And wow. he's just directing the whole thing. It's like crazy, right? Um, get into college though, don't have any money, live in an apartment. Right, you have a roommate and everything. Lake Forest, Forest, right? right? It gets a lot harder, right? Mm -hmm. And um, I got into the point where I was buying like betta fish from places in China and stuff like that on a bidding website for fish and stuff like that. So I got mailed a betta fish that took like three weeks or like weeks to get to me, and came and I got this fish that was like borderline dying because I hadn't gotten food or like been in fresh water or anything but it's a betel fish so it breathes air and doesn't Mm -hmm. the ammonia isn't as effective on it I guess 
and I bring it back to life and it's this it's the most beautiful fish you've ever seen in your entire life like you just be mind blown at like the breeding that they do and just like the different types of beta fish and stuff like that so I got very into it and then as time went by and being a college kid money catches up with you and the idea of having to take this aquarium down and put it back up and take it down and put it back up mm-hmm. it came it was a lot you know and I realized I was going to be moving around a lot when I graduated so this last year is the last year that I I didn't have one I didn't have one this year at school mm. and yeah it came it became more of a burden and you know I never wanted to become that but it's like I still have everything to get back into it but i've maybe just recently a taken a step back from it yeah, yeah. that's fine that's yeah. yeah and actually when i'm going to thailand i plan on i'm flying out from thailand to go to portugal to go to lisbon to go see this exhibit wow to see his last exhibit because i want to see it grown in you could actually watch a documentary of him putting together it's in like four parts him putting together the entire aquascape do you know what that's called i have no idea but if you search takashi amano on youtube and look up the Lisbon, Portugal. I bet you would show up. Easy. Um, I'm gonna write that down right now. And there's also another reference if you're really into, if you find yourself really into it. A really amazing guy that does it. His name's um, James Finley, and he runs the Green Machine over in England. And I've, I've actually faked being a person from the Chicago Shed Aquarium that wanted to do an exhibit like I wanted to have them him come over and do an exhibit just so I could get his email so I could try and ask so I could go over and like join him and like be his apprentice because he's the next he's like up and coming he's amazing that's some back alley shit yeah well I was just you know I just like was trying like I didn't know how a kid like me like coming from St. Clair yeah. how am I, how else am I going to get into it like I have By to I have to be around it somehow yeah so definitely I was obviously going the most desperate route, but um, desperate times called desperate for, times, desperate measures, right? Yeah. But super, yeah. super interesting, and I encourage anybody t- that's looking to get into it that joining the YouTube community is yeah, very Google interesting. Yeah, Google and get onto it. Yeah, and there's yeah. and the videos will blow your way. Like they're just absolutely gorgeous. But um. Is there anything specific that you want to know about aquascaping? That's just, I that think was you just, a spiel. You just kind of ran through it okay. right there. All right. Let's get into more Jake. More what Jake. else do you like to do? What are you doing right now? Right now, I What piques I your am... interest hobby-wise or, okay. inf- like, what what are you up to? Right now, stalling, waiting to go to Thailand, obviously. Yep. Um, been traveling a lot. Been traveling around the States just going to like places like California. I went out into LA just trying to figure out where I might fit in better or where I would want to live because yeah. Okay. So kind of just like trying to figure that out. Um, I've recently got into trying to write a book. Um, that's all I'm going to say about that. Cause you yeah, know, no, it, could just, it. it could just go, it could just fold in on itself at any point. Um, what's your favorite spot in the, United States that where do you find that you fit in the most you know I'm still looking you're still looking? still looking I feel like I would enjoy being out in Colorado just because of the elevation and having 
those people that like they're very healthy out there right like a lot of people oh, yeah. live by the mountains so they can go skiing and they can go mountain biking and hiking community. yeah it's a very active boulder golden denver it's a very and the food culture out yeah. there is like it's it's not you know the best but it's like they're still trying and there's definitely some shining stars out there hmm. but um yeah i haven't looked that hard i'm gonna be honest but I like I went down to North Carolina and went to Asheville, which is supposed to be like this very hip place where everyone's That's going. That's where uh, like Fat Tire beer is from, right? Yep, right? Fat Tire what and the, uh, Sierra Nevada is down there Sierra too. Sierra Nevada. Yep. yep. Went to their grounds or whatever, what have you. My dad's very into beer, and uh, he took us there. It was very interesting. Um, but it's like you notice it with, you know, I did. Well, it didn't feel like the right fit for me. It felt more. I don't want to say it was like too hip or something, but Trying it's hard. hard. Yeah, it's like it's really hard to explain. It's really hard to articulate mm-hmm. why I didn't like it. But it's a gut feeling. Yeah, it's just it just didn't it just didn't feel right for now, some reason. Now, what did you do out in? Was it Connecticut a few years back in high Connecticut. school? Connecticut. Didn't you stay out in Connecticut? I worked for my aunt actually. Yeah. Tell me about that. So my aunt is just moved she was moving from Connecticut to New York to Brewster New York because she wanted to move on to this horse farm so she could have her horses nearby her she already had the horses she has the horses now and she's she's like rides these crazy expensive horses they're like from Argentina and just like now she's doing like equestrian yeah so what she's trying to do with it is starting a nonprofit around equine therapy and it's very niche, very yeah. specific. Um, but it's using horses to get people to open up and find, you know, comfort in being. I, yeah, it's equine therapy. I don't really yeah. know. I can't really explain it. It's kind really of like building it, a, like a new form of like kind of like a, nur- a nurturing. Yeah, it's for people that are therapy. probably around horses, seeing how they interact with the horses, and then yeah. therapists there and whatever. So go on about It's very... Yeah. I didn't really understand it completely myself, but um, she's out there doing that. Um, shout out to her, Susan Tracy, my aunt. Um, but the reason she needed so much help is because she had so much stuff. Oh, so you were out there moving stuff. Yeah, I was helping her move. I was I was basically her personal assistant for the whole summer and trying to figure out ways that she could reorganize her life in a way that she could be more consistent about getting what she wanted to get done okay so that's obviously a very vague yeah. yeah what um, you need what you don't need yeah when to do, she when had a do. lot of stuff that she just like had in her basement and stuff it was like because she had never moved in from the last house and maybe this is maybe we shouldn't talk so much about this but um we had to go through it and I had to go through it mm-hmm. and I had to do a whole bunch of different tasks and I just stayed there and I learned how I was cooking for her because she's got a very specific diet and whatnot just so I could keep my stay, you know, yeah. and I wanted to hang out with my cousin with, for the most part, his name's Christopher. Um, he's out in Colorado now, living awesome. it up, loving it. Um, now that, yeah. uh, you brought up a really interesting point right there that kind of relates to me as a uh, junkie myself, do you think this is wildly off topic? Okay. Do you I'm think sorry. hoarder? I mean, people are hoarders by nature. 
I think that you, in the back of your mind, you have that idea that maybe you maybe can I'll use something. This. Yeah, maybe you'll need it. But I think when you really think about it, you can say, probably won't need it. Is that a sentimental value kind of thing? Do you think we, as like, from nature, how I kind of always viewed it was, I, I think we build our our hoarding personality. I know some people that can have like absolutely no attachment to what anything whatsoever. You know what I mean? Like anything, anything, anything. What I found the difference between a couple people that have that, I'm not saying it's like through money or anything like that, but they've gone through more while they were growing up in their preteen phase, more material possession Mm -hmm. and they phased out or got to the next level, the new phone, the new bike, the new car, the new, you know what I mean? Just like new toy, next best thing. They have an easier time of letting go of things. Whereas people that only had like their single use items or their like multi-use items or multi-use over a longer span of time. So they grew this emotional attachment to things. So even things that they have for like a very small amount of time, they grow some sort of emotional attachment to it. Mm-hmm. And I think humans just become hoarders. Well, I wouldn't say it's a... Uh... <sighs> economical status no, you or, think it's just kind of like an, a yeah because my thing? my parents my dad at least has a issue somewhat and he was very entitled growing up and so is my aunt like they came from like i thought i was entitled like we don't have to get yeah into we it. don't need to get into it but so i don't think it has to do with that but i think an interesting way of going about it and thinking about it is this idea from Japan, this woman from Japan wrote this book on how to organize your life, kind of, and thinking about the different things, each individually, and um, thinking about, it, does it bring joy? Mm-hmm. Do you feel something when you have this thing? Like, is it actively playing a part in your life? And that's how... In most cases, it's no. Yeah, in a lot of cases, it's no. I feel like it's a big prioritization thing. Right, it's just... And, you know, some people, it's just like they don't want to spend time doing that, right? It's just like... Because their time it's is... It's another thing. Yeah, yeah their they're time's worth money. It's an opportunity cost to go and do this where you could be organizing your closet. Right, exactly. Yeah. But what another thing that I've run into is making it so your life's more efficient, right? Mm-hmm. You've got more time to, like, spend with people and enjoy yourself and the world that you live in. It's kind of like spend money, make money. Spend your time doing one thing, utilize your time doing what you want to do later. Right. Yeah. That's very good point. Very efficient. Yeah. Very much about efficiency. So having very little stuff, knowing exactly where it is, and having a plan Mm -hmm. is all part of creating more time for yourself. It's just, it's more, I I always picture, it always goes back to efficiency for me. Um, but then it's like sometimes you run into like what do you do with that extra time you know it's like you aquascape yeah you do you find something that interests you and you and you go with that right or you spend time with people and you talk to people and whatnot um so let's uh i think we should wrap this up and what i want to do is we asked our first guest was bennett uh we know oh actually can i ask you one thing yeah uh, Bennett wanted me to ask you. So Bennett was talking about, if you haven't listened to the Bennett Wine Coop podcast, it's number two. This is number three. It's not that hard to find. Uh, 
Bennett talked about how he has many aliases and many names, and one oh. his uh, best best name is Jacob Pearson Tracy. Yes, yes, he likes to use that at parties. Do you, are you okay with that? <laughs> I mean, you don't have to dive down the hole. Just uh, do you think it's funny? I obviously, you know, I know what he's going for, right? Yeah. It's like it's, if he ever does anything bad, then it reflects poorly on me and not on him. Or he's just, I, you know, it could play a whole different, a whole bunch of different ways. It's, it's Jake Scapegoat Tracy. Yeah, it's there we go. Right, they. Uh, that's. I've got a lot of nicknames. I'm usually the butt of the joke. You know, I. I'm here to make people laugh. I like. I go out of my way to make myself a target, so that way, other people won't get hurt. Do you like that lifestyle? They, I'm not going to turn self, this into a therapy. Self, yeah, self-deprecation, you know, maybe... That's the root of all comedy. In yeah, maybe, but sometimes, you know, you can take it too far, oh, yeah, obviously, definitely. and you don't realize Net. when you're doing that. Watch Nanette on Netflix, and you can learn about comedians and self-deprecation. Oh, yeah. Nanette. Is that a good one? Oh, yeah. I, I recommend it highly. Okay. Australian comic, she goes way in on it. Oh, Nanette. very interesting. All okay. listeners, go on Netflix, watch that. It's amazing. How do you spell that? N A. N E T T E. Okay. I could be mistaken, but yeah. you can find it with a simple Google search. So let's let's get into let's ditch that. Okay. Fuck Bennett. <laughs> okay. I'm kidding. Let's. Uh, I don't know how he's playing with it, so it's like. That's. Yeah, I don't really care. Let's. You know? uh, so like, one okay. thing that we're gonna be asking everybody is, what is the one piece of advice? Doesn't matter how long. One piece. How of short. What is the best piece of advice off the top of your head that you ever have received? Gotten from a book, television, a person, anything. Just give me a line. A line? Give me just give me what's the best piece of advice. How about an I okay. I, here's the idea. No one has any fucking clue what they're doing. We're all winging it. And we're all winging it. The more you realize that, the more freedom it will give you to figure out how you should wing it. I don't know. No, that didn't really go full circle. No, dude. I I think, fuck it, wing it. Yeah, because a lot of people, yeah, they're full of shit. They have no clue. They're very inconsistent in how they are and how they behave and the things that they do. And, the and it's not a shot have. at anybody. Yeah, it's not a shot We're at anyone specifically. We're it's all... just it's just human. Like yeah. And so once you get over that and understand that you shouldn't, you don't need to be so self conscious about all these things and like change is good right mm-hmm. and, well it's not always but you know it's just better to not worry about There's, it so much can I give you one just like a quick little anecdote that I have Go ahead. so one of my favorite things that has ever I've ever heard uh, I guess this is one of my best pieces of advice is, I guess sorry to take it from you but it relates completely to yours uh, one of my um I like to say friends on the team for my freshman year of running uh, cross country at Ferris, uh, Lucas, he gave a speech. He was a senior, uh, very intelligent guy. Uh, he gave a speech, and it was, if I could give it a title, is uh, I don't know why everybody says, oh, we're only human. Be as, that's all we can be. Be as human as you possibly can. Well, I think that really. Without maybe me, the killing and. Oh, I mean, yeah, I mean, natural instinct yeah. is obviously kill, but be the best human. You know what I mean? And nobody knows how to. Yeah. Wing no it. one knows. I know. loved what you said. Yeah. What, how you said, I, that just reminded me of, but fuck it, wing it is such a good thing. Yeah, because everyone, no one has any idea what they're doing. It's just you got to oh, keep yeah. trying things until you figure it out, right? It's, yeah. 
and it's a different path for everybody, right? It's mm-hmm. like you can try and go and do the right thing and the right thing and What's the what right your parents thing? want you to do and what everybody else wants you to do. But at the end of the day, you're not going to be happy unless you're doing what you want to do and mm-hmm. you figure it out in your way and doing and sometimes what you, you have to figure what you want to do, you do it, and it's not what you wanted to do. Yeah. You won it. Yeah. There is no shit. Just go for it. All right. So with that, cue music. And I would like to thank everybody for tuning in and listening to my awesome, intelligent friend, Jake Tracy. Thanks for having me. Uh, I hope to have you back on another one. And for everyone listening out there, you can check us out on Facebook, the Regular People Talk Show. We have some goony-ass looking colorful stick figures as our logo. So if you can't find it, there you go. Hopefully we'll be up on uh, Apple sooner or later. If we are, when you're listening to this, awesome. Uh, And with that, see you later.